Rest in peace, Dark Nason. get fuck fuck off thank you for sticking around for that uh it was a tribute to dog neeson of course the angels lead singer he passed away in the last few more days that i'm recording this last few days but uh yeah um so i thought i would play the angels am i ever gonna see your face again right at the start of the show because although the angels weren't heavy metal at one stage they were the loudest band in the history of australia and at one stage they were 
at any stage in their career, they're huge, uh, uh, what, how do I put it? They're huge influences on the, on every musician in Australia, and Doc Neeson himself was. So, uh, that's why I did it. If you don't like it, get fucking fuck off. But, uh, yeah. Am I ever gonna see your face again? No way, get fuck, fuck off. I apologize for the lateness of the show this week. It didn't come out on Tuesday, it came out on Wednesday. Uh, two reasons for that is I've been prepping like crazy for two in particular interviews. One, I'm not ready to announce, and the other one is uh, one of my idols, one of my top three idols, AJ Matter. From Soundwave, the big day out, Harvest, Soundwave touring, um, the Warp Tour, EU, uh, what else did he do? He's done everything. But he was voted the most powerful man in Australian music. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's the reason why uh, the show's late this week. But I want to, I've got about, um, six, I think. Six or seven or eight. I uh, know it's less than ten fan questions for AJ. I thought I would have more actually. I thought that seven fan questions. That's all I got. Seven fan questions. I thought I would have more, considering it's like AJ Matter, the biggest name in Australian music or the production side of it. Anyway, uh, yeah. So if you want to hit up. If you want me to ask him a question and drop him your name and your Twitter, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Tom underscore Roberts 1989. That's T-O-M underscore R-O-B-E-R-T-S 1989-1989. Or go to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Full Metal Lockdown or... Search for the Full Metal Lockdown podcast and we'll come up. Or hit us up on the email, fullmetallockdown at gmail.com. And uh, shoot us a question for AJ with your Twitter handle or whatever. and uh, Or your, just your name. And yeah, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. Uh, so far, I've had seven questions and six of them didn't include names. Seriously. Six of them didn't include names. Mind you, the seventh one is... I've had to modify it. My cousin Shane, he asks the question, uh, who's headlining Soundwave next year? I'll ask him. I'll ask him, Shane. But $100 says he won't answer seriously. But my bet is on Will Shatner. William Shatner doing a spoken word set. I would pay $300... And watched no other bands on the day. If William Shatner headlined Soundway doing a spoken word set. Doing a spoken word set of Cannibal Corpse lyrics. Fuck yes, that is a genius thought. One of the festival uh, manager, uh, production managers or like, organizers, whatever. AJ, you control the two biggest in the country, Soundwave and The Big Day Out. Uh, what about Splendor? No, fuck Splendor. Soundwave and the Big Day are the two biggest traveling festivals in this country. 
uh, dude, dude, come on, Will Shatner doing Cannibal Corp's lyrics for an entire set, spoken word, how cool would that be, even cooler than that is Eddie Vedder in the background playing ukulele, fuck yes, I'm a genius, and then Will Farrell in the background playing drums every time Will Shatner makes a joke, yeah, Fuck yes. Anyway, yeah, so hit me up on the email, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you got to do, and send your questions through to me to ask AJ Maddox next. Oh, I don't actually know when his show will air, but it might be the next show, or it might be a couple after that. It all depends. Okay, so we're still looking for season two guests for the Full Metal Lockdown podcast. We've got one confirmed and ready to go. I just got to uh, prep the questions and record the conversation with him. But uh, I'm not ready to announce him yet. Uh, we're in talks with an international guest at the moment. Uh, in talks, he wants to do it. I want to do it. He's. Uh, my publicist wants to do it, but uh, his publicist has had something health crisis or something like that. I can't go into much detail because it's not my place to, but uh, hopefully hopefully that gets sorted out and it all gets confirmed soon. But uh, we need, uh, I think, six guests all up, and we've got two. So I need four more. For more, who do you want to hear? Hit me up on Twitter at Tom underscore Roberts 1989. Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Full Metal Lockdown. Or search for the Full Metal Lockdown podcast in the search bar. Or hit us up on the email, fullmetallockdown at gmail.com. And uh, I'll hit whoever you want up. In other words, I'll try and get the interview with them. I'm trying to actually get an interview with uh, 12 Foot Ninja. I've got a reply from the band. I've got a reply from their Facebook anyway. But I can't get a reply from the publicist. What kind of shit is that? Anyway, uh, so uh, I also want to know, should I have international guests? This This podcast is all about Australian metal. Should I have international guests? See, the way I want to do it is only if they've toured the country within the last, within the 12 months surrounding my podcast, whether they've toured it previously or are going to. So, that's my view on it, but I want to know your view on it. Should I have international guests? Once again, hit me up on the Twitter at Tom underscore Roberts 1989, or hit me up on the Facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash full metal lockdown or search the full metal lockdown podcast hit us up with an inbox or email me at full metal lockdown uh, full metal lockdown at gmail.com but on that note I have sat down with some of the most legendary in my box legendary metal artists in Australia and I'm sitting down right now with uh, Greg from Dreadnought on the line for the second interview with him. Uh, how you going, Greg? Good, thanks, Tom. How you doing, man? Uh, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, I know last week we left off with me suggesting a uh, 
an album title for your next album and you said it may be a tour name but I did suggest uh, Dedicated Fools which is what you called yourself at uh, some point in the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Dedicated Fools. <laughs> it's probably not... Uh... I'm out far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I quite liked it. Yeah. Um. So I want to ask you this week. I want to ask you uh, a bit about your personal history, especially in regards to metal. Uh, pre dreadnought. Like, how did you get into metal? Um. Oh, uh, I think. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, so probably, probably the first time I ever heard anything heavy was uh, Ram Jam's version of Black Betty back in, I think it was like, you know, I must have been about five or six years old, and uh, I mean, we all know that song sort of thing, and, um, you know, when I heard that uh, guitar riff, I fucking thought I'd heard God, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Uh, I was only probably five or six. And then obviously with ACDC and things like that, you know, I had, um, you know, jailbreak on single when I was, you know, seven or eight years old, things like that. And then, um, you know, really the roast tattoo and the angels, that sort of Australian rock and roll stuff. And then I guess the first sort of metal band I ever really heard was, was Iron Maiden. And that was um, when the number of beasts came out when they were, you know, really going for the global push as a band back then. And um, yeah, um, I think I was, I think about 10 and yeah, I heard Run to the Hills and I just went, wow. And then sort of got into Jewish Priest and that from there. And then, but um, I've got to say, my uh, my uncle was was a, was probably the biggest influence on my musical taste and getting in, getting into heavier music. I and mean, he's he was probably ten years older than me. You know, he did the Sabbath and and everything like that. And he used to buy five albums a week, and you know, I get to get to hear a lot of great music through him. Yeah. So, uh, does th- do things like that? Do family members and stuff like that? Uh, do they still influence you on what you listen to? Oh no, not anymore. Not really. I mean, there's this. You know, I mean, both both my my mum and dad have passed away, and I have sort of written songs in their memory. And I also, you know, my uncle I was talking about, he's he's no longer with us either. And um, uh, tattooed tears off the last album's actually about him. Oh, okay. so, yeah, so I guess in 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 that aspect, yes, but not not on a um, I don't know what the right word is a living scale, <laughs> really. You know, just uh, I've written written songs in in dedication to family members that aren't here. Oh, but um, okay. definitely, when I was growing up, my uncle was probably probably the biggest influence on me. Yeah, you know, he played drums in a band, and you know they did you know they did shit like Zeppelin and Sabbath and stuff like that, and. Um, yeah, so I, I, I probably credit him for being the biggest influence of getting into to music in general, and then getting into heavy and heavy music, as, because he, you know, he likes everything from you know Priest and the Sex Pistols and bands like that. And um, yeah, so I, I guess he was a, a major influence. I mean, and, um, and I think you know one of my personal favourite bands was just Thin Lizzy. He he's definitely the one that played me, Thin Lizzy. So, were you a natural singer, or were you taught to sing at a young age? Oh, no, I kind of uh, got roped into it when I was oh, maybe about 15, I think. Um, 
a good friend of mine play guitar and his brother played drums and I wasn't so much friends with his brother but um, him and I used to sort of jam and stuff like that and you know his older brother said oh you know it sounds alright give him a go kind of thing so yeah I mean I, I can't say that you know, I probably always wanted to be in advance as I was a little kid that's that's definitely definitely a thing and um yeah, when I was sort of 15, I think, you know, the first time I ever played, we did uh, Grinder by Judas Priest. <laughs> you know, I'm no Rob Howard, no Rob Howard, you know, <laughs> gave it a shot, you know. So that was sort of at 15, that was our sort of first public performance doing the Grinder by Judas Priest. So then, um, you know, moved on to other bands um, after that. Damage Factory, this is back in Tasmania with the two brothers, and also um, that had uh, Rick Kelly, who used to be the lead singer Bean Flipper on guitar and also Squiz who's the former Dreadnought now King Barrett guitarist on, on bass back when we were teenagers so we used to do everything from you know, Slayer and Pestilence to you know as well as original stuff as well so it's just kind of progressed from there and you know I did another band with Damon from Dreadnought uh, called Ritual Killing that was a more death metal thing that, that didn't last that long but it was a bit of fun and then um yeah, came to Melbourne and um, hooked up with the uh, with the guys over here, and you know, basically started Dreadnought. You know, it took took a long time for Dreadnought to form, but it eventually got there. <laughs> I love how intertwined the uh, metal community is. Like, like I had no idea that you were in former bands with Squids from uh, former Dreadnought, former uh, current King Parrot. And I had no idea, like, uh, Bean Flipper, you were in a band with, uh, I forgot his name. You just said his name too. Sorry. Uh, Sorry no, Rick, yeah, Rick, Rick, yeah, Rick the vocalist. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, I'll tell you what, he's, uh, he's one hell of a guitar player. I know he used to go off his face out, out, out the front of Bean Flipper with no instrument, but, uh, yeah, he's quite an accomplished guitar player. And yeah. he was so, at, you know, 19, he was, you know, unreal. So, yeah, you know, that, that, that's where we, you know, like Squiz, obviously, that was sort of dreadnought. I rang Squiz, I lived in Melbourne, I rang him up and said, look, I'm coming over, you want to form a band, do something a bit different. And, yeah, Squiz and I hooked up, and then we uh, we met Suds about a month later, and we kind of know him from, he lives in Hobart, in Tassie, but he obviously lived in Melbourne then, and, you know, hooked up through some mutual friends and got Suds in. And then... Um, yeah, Damon was in and out for a little bit. He was he was doing a project called Wicker Man, which was with uh, Rick from Bean Flipper before he joined the Flipper. Um, I mean, what happened? Oh, I guess, you know, we were sort of, you know, Damon was in and out kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, Richie was playing guitar for the Surf and Poo Bars, um, which uh, they also had uh, Timmy Jack Ray, who was the drum for the Powder Monkeys in it. And, um, yeah, they, they sort of folded and, you know, Richie's like, I'm sick of bands. <laughs> you know, I want to play guitar. I don't, I don't play any bands. And, and everybody around us kept saying, oh, ask Richie to play, ask Richie to play. And I'm like, no, man, I'm not asking Richie. He doesn't want to. He's made it quite clear at that stage. And then he uh, he actually lived with Suds. And then, you know, one day we're all just sitting around and he just goes, I'll play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> just like that. And, uh, yeah, he's been playing guitar for the last fucking 23 years <laughs> or whatever, 22 years. So yeah, and um, yeah, and then Damon sort of Wicker Man kind of folded, and Rick moved on to Bean Flipper, and Damon joined permanently, and yeah, then it began. Oh wow! Yeah, like I said, it is amazing yeah, how intertwined the metal community is, like, because it's not just the Melbourne scene; like everybody in the Sydney scene, 
and it's uh i think it's a little bit sad that that it's not an australian scene that it's sydney brisbane melbourne perth adelaide and they're all different scenes but that's another subject but um yeah, it's funny how, like, everybody in the Sydney scene has been in a band with each other. Everybody in the Brisbane scene has been in a band with each other. Everybody in the Melbourne scene has been in a band with each other, etc., etc. And it's just awesome that yeah. there's that kind of community within the metal industry. Well, yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, you know, we've, you know, well, just saying to it last week that, um, oh, you know, all, you know, drummers that we've, you know, and different members that we've had, which aren't really that many, you know, we've had a few drummers, but, uh, you know, Ando is the only change from squeeze to bass, and that was, you know, 13-odd years ago now. Um, yeah, like, uh, we've never advertised for anybody. We never had to, you know, we just, you know, made some, you know, made some calls, and people said, oh, I know this guy. Yeah. Like, we might know them too, or we sort of might not, but, um, I mean, Marty, who's drumming for Dreadnought, is, you know, now is uh, from the Eternal, but the you know, the Eternal don't play a real lot, so Marty was looking for something a bit more. Oh, he's still with the Eternal, but something a bit more uh, hands-on all the time. So, um, yeah, um, we we didn't know him, but he was uh, great friends with uh, Yeti from Frankenbach, and he kind of put us on to him. So we've never really had to advertise because it, you know reiterate your point about you know everyone's playing the band together or know someone or know someone. You know, if you once you've been doing it for a while, and that's it's hard when you first start out. I think to uh, you know get involved and play and play and play, you know, sort of thing. But um, yeah, after a little while, you sort of you you earn your stripes and you know, you know, there's guys who play in multiple bands as well. You know, do solo projects and other shit. You know, so no, it's a good thing. No, uh, I want to ask you on that uh, on the talking about. Uh the multiple factions around the country that I brought up a little bit earlier. So, uh, I wanted to ask this, uh, who are your favorite metal bands of the past and present, Aussie metal bands of the past and present? Like, uh, cause a lot of people would say Dreadnought on their list, but like, I wanted to get the, your point of view on this. Like, who are your past and present favorites? Uh favourites um, uh, I guess uh, Alchemist to be one for sure definitely fucking great band um, Alarm I really like Alarm they're, they're a great band as well um, oh well you know King Barrett again you know just because they're you know a lot of good mates of ours and they're damaged they were fucking fantastic um, oh, Bob Duster um, oh fuck I'm dead <laughs> they're fucking brilliant fucking they're just they're just you know Jay and the boys they just rip your head off that's just you know that's how you play grindcore yeah. <laughs> kind of stuff but, yeah they're a fantastic band um, who else I'm just trying to think across the list of you know some bands that might not you know Beef Whipper I love Beef Whipper uh, just trying to think of you know, stuff from over the years that you know bands that may not be carrying on uh, Mortal Sin good choice definitely Mortal Sin I oh, I was fucking, uh, I was right into Mortal Sin when I was when I was younger, yeah, right into Mortal Sin. I loved fucking those first two albums kind of thing when they were, you know, when they first sort of came out, they were fucking brilliant. <laughs> and yeah, the last album's good, the last album's fucking good too, yeah. you know, so. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they've ever done bad. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's um, yeah, the last album's fucking great too. So, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, 
Yeah. What about Bach? Go on for ages. But... Sorry? What about Frankenbach? Oh, the Bach, of course, yeah. That's <laughs> what I mean. I could just keep going on and on and on. You know. Um, I hate all more. I think Hadel Moore are brilliant there from from uh, Death Melbourne from Melbourne they're fucking brilliant. Um, who else? Um, oh, <laughs> I could just keep going on. Yeah. <laughs> six, oh, oh, six, six foot, six foot hick. I know they're not exactly metal, but uh, they're uh, watching them on stage is probably more dangerous than most metal bands. So yeah, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely six foot hick. They're um, you know. They're the most dangerous. Oh, fuck, they're the most dangerous band in the country. <laughs> well, pretty, pretty much. On that, like, do you do you have any non-metal influences in your music? Uh, in Dreadnought music. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Definitely. There'd be there'd be non-metal influences in there. Definitely. I mean, um, you know, Richie Richie really likes classical. You know, he drives around with some of the classical station in his car and stuff like oh, that. Wow. Yeah. There's, um, oh, I don't know. I mean, like I was saying to you last week, Dread, Dreadnought has eclectic musical taste as members. Yeah. So there's definitely bits and pieces. I mean, I, you know, you know, I, you know, I really, like I said, I like Thin Lizzy, you know, and I like everything that they, they did, like from the, you know, the really hard rocking songs like Massacre and things like that, right through to the, you know, awesome ballads that they play, you know, just that whole spectrum of music. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a lot of non-metal influences, and, and you know, because of the different personalities, you know, as I was saying, we don't, you know, if we got together with, you know, not the, uh, oh, are you into this band? This band was form a band, you know, it's not like that. They're not have musical taste differences, yeah. So they're combining that into what we do, and that's why our albums are eclectic too. You know, you get sort of you know full-on metal stuff to you know songs like Autumn and Someday, and then eerie atmospheric passage stuff and you know we've we've never wanted to sort of block ourselves in yeah well kind of thing what's it like because i asked you last week what's it like being considered an icon and you said more like old cunt uh but (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) uh what's it like being considered a favorite or an influence to like a starting out aussie metal band yeah, well, it's it's sort of honouring, you know. If, if you know, young guys who are half my age are you know, you know, taking a leaf out of our book and and you know, taking influence from us musically or whatever, that's you know, it's great. You know, I I, I certainly wouldn't fucking care if someone did a dreadnought cover. Yeah, I would even care. I would even care if they did it badly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd still go. Well, hey, fucking, that's that's cool. You know. That's flattering. I mean, we don't. So, yeah, so I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that. So I, I think that, you know, being influenced on younger bands and things like that is, is good, you know. I mean, hopefully it might take a leaf out of our book and not follow trends and shit because that's what, you know, Dreadnought have never done is, you know, follow trends and scenes and bullshit, you know. We've yeah. always come out and done whatever we wanted to do from the outset so no one could ever say, oh, how come you've changed? Yeah, you know, we we've copped it a bit over the years. You know, I must say, there's been times like, oh, how come you, how come you mellowed out on that record, or how come you did this, how come you went rock and roll on dirty music? Why'd you do that? Because we fucking wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only fucking way I can put it. You know, like, uh, so hopefully that influence, maybe more than musical, might come across. 
because, you know, we've always done what we wanted to do. You know, our first album had everything from like a song like Flowers, which is a sort of epic ballad, to, you know, Dripping, which is this twisted sludge metal thing, to, you know, Begotten Not Made, which is a nine-minute fucking epic with piano and strings and bullshit in it, you know. So, um, you know, we've, we've always done what we wanted to do. I mean, the new album so far that's shaping up, we've, we've kind of got five songs together. It's, it's um, you know, that's going to be quite heavy. This record's quite, quite, you know, atmospheric and, you know, aggressive. Yeah. That's the way it's sort of shaken up. It's, it's like, there's a lot of atmosphere, you know, a lot of, a lot of atmospheric parts, but, you know, it's still quite aggressive. So is it going to be a uh, long album or is it going to be like long songs on the album? Oh, the songs aren't too long. Ah, okay. You know, we're just, you know, we're, we're kind of aiming for around eight or nine songs, I think, as we go. But we just, we don't, because we don't overwrite, you know, we don't just start working a song for the hell of it and then just slog it to death until you go, oh, okay, that'll do, and then move on to the next one. Um, and, you know, write 50 songs for an album, you know, so we just get the ideas we know are good and just persist with them until unless, until something comes out of it. And if it doesn't, just fucking throw it to the side. Yeah, next. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, social media, uh, like Facebook and Twitter and Reverb Nation and, um, what's the other one? Uh, LinkedIn and Google Plus and all that. Uh, have you ever noticed, uh, that the, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Uh, what is the significance on the Aussie metal scene in your point of view? Like, do you think that they're a good thing or do you think that... People need to stop focusing on the uh, social media aspect of music, or do you think it helps boost bands a little bit more and give fans more access? Um, I, I, well, I think it's a good communication tool, definitely. You know, a really good communication tool, and especially now, obviously, you can just sit anywhere and do that. Um, at the same time, too, you know. It can be something that is over overexposed by bands. Some bands, I think, overuse it and then wonder wonder why they're not getting any recognition. You know, I mean, yeah. but then so there's a two two plus and the plus and the negative. You know, like I think the plus is definitely a communication tool, not just not just in Australia. You know, like worldwide. You know, it's a, it's a communication tool to, to organise things and to to make things happen to let people know you're out there and you know. I think it's a good thing, yeah. but on the other hand, too, you know, so, some bands don't utilise it to uh, it, its correct way. You know, they just use it to fucking spam everybody, and be, you know, people get jack of it. You know? Yeah, I know they do. You know, I, I've read particular uh, journalistic pieces uh, in you know on certain metal websites have gone, uh, this this is banned, leave me alone, <laughs> sort of thing. So, uh, you know. It can be it can be you know advantageous or it can be you know detrimental to to uh, just, just depend on how you use it you know it's great to put stuff up from shows it's great to put you know tour blogs or whatever you're doing you know and that sort of thing but at the same time too just just generally spamming people all the time just with oh you know check my band out some people get sick of it yeah, yeah. so uh, do you think 
the the number of likes or followers on the respective website is a direct view of a fan of a band's fan base. Like, do you believe that uh that that number is who actually follows the band, or do you believe it's just a number on a website? Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I know ours is pretty accurate, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, just get you know, that that sort of thing. That's sort of, you know, I guess that you know, pumping up your likes and all that sort of stuff is just you know. I think it's when you post something up and people like it, then it's you know, and a lot of people like it. That's that's when it's a different thing. But if you just got you know likes on your page, you know, you can sit there all fucking day and just do that. Yeah. Just to pump. Yeah. Well, like uh. Yeah. Just. Someone said to me that, uh, uh, what'd they say about it? It was, uh, the number of likes or followers is the amount of people that hear what you say online. And I said, well, that's not always the case because there are so many rigmaroles around it. Like, that, uh, not everybody sees every post you send out, not everybody sees every tweet you send out, etc., etc. So that number is not a direct representation of the amount of people that are hearing you. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you can, you, know, you can send out as much stuff as you like, but it's, it's not always going to be yeah, an accurate record of, of what's actually happening on a, on a street level, really. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, again, I think, I think it's, it, like anything, it's got as good as bad points, you know. <laughs> it's like anything you do, you know, it doesn't have to be music, it can be art, it can be, you know, anything. Yeah. So, uh, moving on from that, I want to go back to a subject that I brought up last week that uh, is, uh, it was very important to the uh, metal community in Australia. And uh, it was, for those who don't know, it was called a, a Metal for the Brain. It was probably Australia's largest metal festival, and uh, it was very entwined in the metal community in Australia. It was very sad when it went under. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I asked you a few questions about it last week, but uh, how many did Dreadnought actually play? Three or four, I can't remember. One or the other, three or four. How many in a row? Pretty sure. Uh, they were all in a row. All in a row. Uh, yeah. So, uh, needless to say, that uh, Metal for the Brain was like a, uh, almost like a uh, point to look forward to every year in your band, kind of. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just a, just a great gig. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was, you know, a great gig for a good cause and all the rest of it. So, you know, you yeah. know, I mean, the, the guys, the guys from Alchemist who put it on, you know, they, they basically went from, had, you know, a lot of financial pressure putting that on. And unfortunately, I think, you know, what killed Metal for the Brain was the, you know, the, the health and safety laws that were brought in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, 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 you know, the overheads and the costing just suddenly tripled. Yeah, and just became un- it became unmanageable, you know. And it's just like, well, what do you do? You know, the the, the whole sort of thing. Just you know, all that you know, that stuff came in, and it just you know, all of a sudden you had to put you know big bonds on you know the venue, and 
you know, X amount of security, insurance, and yeah, like it just, you know, the cost of putting it on is still like, you know, like anywhere you go, okay, we, we hire the, you know, A new bar, put, put a PA in stage in there and charge some money, and they go, well, yeah, we're a licensed venue, no problems. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and just leave it at that. But no, but all the, all the insurance and everything on the, on the show just became way too much. So unfortunately, the guys had to stop it, you know. Uh, a lot of people don't actually realize that Medal for the Brain was a charity event. Like, it was for a yeah. young boy who was a brain damage he had. Yeah, yeah. It's a friend of, friend of um, actually, well, Alchemist and uh, Armored Angel. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he, yeah, I think, uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened to him. It was, you know, something tragic, I think. And, um, yeah, they, they just put the first medal for the brain on to, to help with his uh, hospital hospital fees and things like that. And just, you know, it was, a, you know, and then eventually it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, they, don't, you know, they, you know every year they donated all of what they made to the you know, National Brain Injury Foundation. Exactly. And to... Yeah, to and uh, well, his name's Alex Early, and to Alex family. So they did what they could for, to that to help for, you know, you're talking like ten plus years. Yeah. And every band was quite happy to be there. You know, I mean, we all, you know, the interstate bands got a, got a little bit of money just to help with some petrol, and that was it. Yeah. You know, that was it. So, um, yeah, he got up there, and it was, you know, it was just a great day. So yeah. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. So it's solely missed in the metal community, I might add. Like, and I wasn't, uh, wasn't seen as like a uh, why the hell did they end it? It was a more of a why the hell were all these rules brought in so they had to end it kind of thing. It wasn't never. It was never seen as a bad thing on uh, Alchemist that they had to end metal for the brain. It was uh, just seen as a like a. Uh, like oh shit, it had to end, kind of thing. It wasn't a yeah. yeah. You get what I mean. <laughs> I if yeah, I, I keep trying to go on that point, I'll keep rambling. <laughs> uh, if you weren't playing a medal for the brain, did you attend it? Like, uh, did you go as a spectator? Uh, no. No, I didn't. No, no. A few times I went up there, we were just playing, yeah. kind of thing. So is that because it was in Canberra and you were in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, it's probably more 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 the case, just a logistical kind of thing. And back back then, uh, you know, getting a flight to Canberra used to cost four hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was way before uh, you know Branch and Kagan had changed the whole game kind of thing. You know, it was just you know that sort of thing. So yeah, you know, just um, no, but always good to hang out at. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you believe not? There will probably never be anything exactly like it ever again. Uh, but do you ever believe? Uh, do you believe that there will be anything like it in Australia? And like it, I mean, uh, like uh, Dying Day or uh, Sonic Forge or anything like that. Do you reckon they can? become like metal for the brain or do you think nothing will ever get to that stature? Uh, I mean, I think it's a, it's a different time now. Yeah. You know, it's a different time and I think that, you know, a festival like metal for the brain led, led the way for the, 
Aussie Metal Festival kind of thing. So that they kind of led the way, and because um, there was no other, uh, the, the only other one that I know of was like uh, was the High Voltage Festival they had for six or seven years in Melbourne, which was was really good. But again, that was just one sort of one night of bands kind of thing. So I think mean, it's just taken on that more of a, a structure now. Like it's it, you know shows begin at you know two or three in the afternoon and go right through to one in the morning kind of thing with multiple stages. That that idea from Metal for the Brain is there for festivals like those. But um, I think with Metal for the Brain, it was, uh, it was the weekend itself. Yeah. Like they get up there, they get up there Friday night, they'd have, you know, a couple of the bands would always be playing a gig. So everyone had, you know, and they'd go, well, this is the official Metal for the Brain pre-party venue for everyone getting into town. So that had happened and then, you know, the show would kick off at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, and run right of hours of metal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it was during the day and during the night and there was multiple stages. And it's just, just a different thing because I think especially having it, like the unis in, in Canberra was, you know, there's big outside areas and things like that. Whereas if you, most festivals today happen in a, in, a, in a pub or a venue and it's not really like that. Yeah. Yeah, sort of thing. So... Yeah, I think I think Metal for the Brain led the way with with the idea of the festival. I think now because festivals just happen, they, you know, happening around the country, I think that means that you know people are getting to them. That's not a problem, but uh, you kind of can't recapture what Metal for the Brain did, except the fact that it, it led the way for the festivals of festivals that we have today around Australia. Yeah, true. Because it was around so. before a big day out, wasn't it? Uh, no, it used to be before Christmas. No, before what I mean is Christmas. it started before the big day out, didn't it? Oh, yes, yeah, 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 definitely. It was, it was always on on uh, late in the year. Yeah. So, you know, and that's what happens too. Most of the festivals happen as the sort of summer starts kicking in, which is good. But um, again, they're just, you know, they're one night, one day and night kind of things in a, in a you know, pub-style venue. Whereas I think, you know, Everybody used to travel to camp for the one event that there was every year, like yeah. an annual party kind of thing. So that, that's that, that's my feeling on it. Is you know, Metal for the Brain was the, the the leader of the Australian Metal Festivals for a long time, and now rather than one, we've got many, which which I think only makes for a good thing too, because bands can go from city to city to city, and um, you know. Get festivals, as you know, good gigs to go to. So yeah, yeah. and playing more areas, so therefore more exposure for their music. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, at a metal gig, it can be metal for the brain. It can be anything you want, really. Uh, what is your best or worst experience at a metal gig? Like dealing with fuckwits, uh, how do you deal with fuckwits? How do you deal with heckling, like people yelling shit at you? Uh, do you uh, get free shit from fans and stuff like that? Do you get like free drinks from fans? Uh, yeah, oh, you know, occasionally someone will buy you a beer. You know, <laughs> that's all good. But you know, I mean, hecklers and stuff. I just, you know, I, I ignore them unless it's worth it. Come back. You know? <laughs> I <laughs> think you know, and I, you know, I've had yeah, I've had a few people that I've had to you know have a crack at over the years for uh, you know 
being off their heads and just being a bit too in my face yeah. as well. But, you know, yeah, you know, heckling and stuff, I don't fucking care about that, you know. You, you, you wouldn't stand up in front of people and do what you do if, you, if you're, you know, without, you know, insecure. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, heck, was, you know, even if someone doesn't like you, it's just like, well, fuck, I don't care, mate. You paid your money to get in, get fucked. <laughs> so what? <laughs> you're a fuck with it, pay to the door, even if you don't like us. <laughs> you know, so, not, not that I treat everybody like that. I mean, you know, that's what I was saying last week, you know, I don't care if it's two people or 2,000, you get the same show. But, you know, if someone's heckling and just scowling, you know, your fucking band sucks or do whatever, I don't fucking care, man. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what you think? You know. So, you know, that that sort of stuff. So but yeah, you know, it's it's part it's part of a gig, isn't it? Yeah. 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 At least in Australia at least in Australia it is. I mean, um, when we play in Japan everyone just yells and screams and then stops and be silent. Uh, I was actually going to, my next uh, question actually leads into something like that. Have you ever noticed a difference playing state to state with Aussie crowds, like, uh, or even internationally with with our uh, crowds compared to the Aussie crowds? Like, are they rowdier in different areas? Uh, I think I think the rural centres go a bit harder, I think. Oh, really? You so, know, like... like you know, like country yeah. over the city kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're in the smaller, smaller cities around Australia. I think you know, it's like, you know, Newcastle, you know, Ballarat, you know, it's, you know, places like that. You know, they sort of, yeah, when we, when we play sort of regional stuff, it's generally been, you know, quite fucking in your face. <laughs> you know, generally, generally, the regional shows are generally that, that little bit more, you know, a little bit more rowdy, you know. Not that, you know, have great city shows, but I just do, if you want a generalisation, yeah, definitely. I mean, you mightn't say have the, the major numbers there or whatever, but the people are there, they're, they're you know, they're out for it, you know, and they're, they're like, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd definitely say that. Have you noticed a progression in crowd attitude since 1992? Uh, if so, how big, what kind, et cetera? Um, yeah, that's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard to say. I mean, crowd, crowds are crowd and stuff like that. I mean, I, I guess one thing, I, I don't go for the uh, pit ninja bullshit. The I, what, I sorry? think that's just the pit ninja. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I, I don't. I mean, I, and, uh, I don't say that as being some fucking old prick going on. Oh, you know, what are kids today doing? That when I used to do it, it was called moshing. You know, <laughs> not, not like that. Just, I, I just, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think like mosh pits are a unified thing. Yeah, like they always have been. Like they can be the tiniest one with fucking five people at the front knocking each other around to massive pits of thousands of people who are doing walls of death and you know, circle pits and shit like that. It's a it's a thing of unity, even if you get hurt. You know? Yeah. Whereas I think I think the pit ninja's just out for himself and yeah. just wants his own space to fucking do what he wants to do and it'll and I'm just like, well, you know I, I you, yeah, you can really hurt someone, man, just being a dick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fair fair enough you get a fair enough you get a forearm to the head or, you know, you whatever. You know, it's rough. 
But you, the fact you're standing there with the, no one in you know, a big circle around you, throwing your arms and kicking and shit like that, it's just like, well, you're actually going to hurt someone. And someone's, you know, the strange thing, you know, violence is a cord in the pit, you know, it's not on. If you see someone going down, pick their fucking ass up, you know. Yeah, exactly. Christ, I've been picked up for times, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the last time big guy picked me up at Napalm Death, I was fucking getting trampled. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, uh, I, you know, I just, I don't really have, and I know a lot of bands, you know, metal bands I know, and they're not even older ones. They think, yeah, pit ninjas are dickheads. Yeah. So you're fucking dickhead. You're just out for yourself and you're out to hurt other people, whereas my point to that is that, you know, there's no unison. And, you know, metal, metal is, is always, always has and always will be an outsider's music. Yeah. And it's the, the one thing that brings people together, even if they fucking like each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and the, the the pit, whatever goes down in it, you know. And I'm not talking about jumping up and down in your fucking tracksuit pants shit. I'm talking, you know, pits, real ones, real dangerous ones. Yeah. And there's a unison about that. Getting getting your fucking getting your cheekbone shattered in a pit because <laughs> yeah. some guys are going as nuts as you are is a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, it's not about oh that guy just caught me while I'm gonna smash him. It's like no, too bad <laughs> you got in the way. Yeah, but well, I've been knocked yeah, out in pits to... before, but that was just because it was a pit. I wasn't pissed off about it. The dude picked me up and pulled me out of the pit so I didn't get trampled. But I wasn't pissed off about it. It was just what happened in the pit. Yeah, well there you go. You see, you got knocked out. Yeah, but you didn't get knocked out by someone. Kicking you in the head, yeah, exactly. Deliberately, you know, yeah. you might you might have caught, you might cop a boot from a stage dive or whatever. You know, that's fucking you know, that's fair game. Yeah, but again, that's my that's my uh, answer to that question is you know a mosh pit is a, is a united thing. Yeah, no matter how fucking how how it might seem to someone who's never seen one before and, and sees the, the the amount of sort of violence that goes on in there, but. Uh, the you know the pit ninja who wants his own space to kick and punch at people, you know I, I just I don't see the point. It's it's you know get get to do what you do what you will you know get into your music however you want to get into it but you know go and stand over the side and be a pit ninja. <laughs> you know, go 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 and fucking stand over there because right? <laughs> if you know if you try you know. If you've got five or six guys doing that stuff in the middle of a big pit, they're going to get swallowed up anyway. Yeah. You know, so unless everybody, you know, so I, I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that it's a generational thing, anything like that. You know, get into fucking shit however you want. You know, stand back with, with your beer and listen to it. Fuck who cares? Yeah. But if you go to you, you, you know, to me, you know, the mosh pits are united thing. Yeah. That goes back to what we were talking about before as well. Like metal is a giant community. Pretty much everyone knows everyone, and, and me the metal community is very intertwined, and that even goes right down to the fucking mosh pit. It's a conglomerate, yeah. pretty much. You don't go in there as an individual trying to fuck shit up. Yeah, well, that's it, you know. I mean, that'd be, that'd be my biggest part of the crowds and stuff, and I, and I know bands that'll stop songs. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, if people do it, yeah. they'll just go now. Not putting up with it. I mean, it, it's 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 sort of like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 wouldn't, but I doubt we get anyone to pit ninja to us anyway because we're not really that sort of band. Yeah, but, I was actually going to you know, say, I, I, like, I, have I, you ever stopped to tell a guy to fuck off? No, 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 no. I've never stopped to do that. 
Well, no, I've actually I, I, put I have. a note down here that uh, for another suggestion for your next album name is Pit Ninjas Are Dicks. Pit Ninjas Are Dicks. Yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't have any pit ninjas, you know, so it's not really a thing. <laughs> Which state has the radio crowds, and has it ever changed, or is it a good thing that when the crowds are rowdy? Um. So, uh, which state has the rowdiest? Yeah, because like, I've talked to people and they've noticed a progression. Like, Melbourne crowds used to stand there with their arms, arms folded and just look at the bands and just go, oh, yeah, whatever. And now they've noticed that uh, and the Sydney crowds were more active and moshing and, and all that. Now they've noticed a shift. Melbourne crowds are more... Uh, Sydney crowds, sorry, are more arms folded watching the bands. And Melbourne crowds are more active. Like, uh, have you... Which state in your mind has the more active crowds? Oh. oh it's, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say, I think. You know, I've played, played that many gigs in, in both cities that, you know, over so many years that, you know... Fuck! I played. I played to no one and played to everyone kind of thing. So <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to put a put a pinpoint on that. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, so sometimes we we you know played say in Sydney, being a Melbourne band and being you know totally blown away by the crowd response. Going, oh, fuck, that was really really good. <laughs> yeah, or you know, we played in Melbourne to fucking no one. You know, in our own backyard, you know, there was a, you know, there's definitely a period there where we were struggling to get fucking anyone to come and see us about five or six years ago. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, um, I mean, crowd, crowd to crowd, man. Depends what people are into, you know. If people want to hang back, they hang back, you know. I, you know, I, I don't play, I don't play a gig to the front row. You know, I enjoy that people up up the front into it, but I don't play a gig to the front row. You play a gig to the room. Yeah. You know, so whether it's whether it's full or not, it doesn't, you know, really matter. You can be a bit more personal when there's when there's less people there. You know, I mean, I have a tendency of just to talk off the microphone when there's not that many people there in between songs because there's no need. <laughs> Don't need me to be up there with a the microphone with a fucking booming voice when there's you know not that many people in the room. You just talk to them. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. What is the writing process in Dreadnought? Like, uh, are you still learning techniques, or are you set in your ways? Uh, no, no. We 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 just do what's best for a song. I think what we think is best for a song. There's no real set in the ways. It's just you know, there's what kind of feels right. So you're constantly I, I think, evolving yeah. song to song. Well. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to look at a song as if you want it to be a song, then that's that's how it goes, if you know what I mean. So the, you keep... Um, how can I explain a little better? Just, uh, I think that we, we approach every song as an individual entity, and that's that's how they get written. Like, that's why, over the years, our music is so eclectic in its, you know, delivery and and styles and stuff like that is because, you know, it's like, well, this is a good piece, you know, let's not waste this, let's just do what we feel right with it. Mm. And that's why we've never really, you know, been worried about, again, trends and scenes and shit like that because there's no need to. Yeah. 
um, because we've always decided to do what we wanted to do, you know, outside the box. You know, we're you know, we're a metal and rock band. That's what we do, you know. But you know, just in the, in those realms, you know, once we always wanted to do something else. So approaching the writing is always about the individual song. And, you know, and sometimes we might be working on two parts, two different things, and either of them are going anywhere, but, you know, we we'll put them together, and it's like, well, hang on a minute. This actually works together. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think every band's different in the way they go writing about songs. You know, some bands have one person that writes, some bands have all of them, some bands, you know, go in with a complete formula, you know. But for us, it's it's all about the individual song itself and what sounds right for that song, you know, how that should be presented. Hmm. Well, that's the first time I've heard that kind of answer. Like, because, like, you said, a lot of bands say, like, oh, this person writes all our songs or this person and this person writes all our songs or we go on as a band or we write our individual parts to come in and do it. But that's the first time I've ever heard it answered in that way, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, all, all members of Red Dot are not right. Yeah. But we don't necessarily write our own, our own instruments, if you will. Yeah. Like, uh, we we work, you know, you know, things sometimes just happen quickly. Um, sometimes an idea will be formulated by one person or two people. Or, you know, oh, I've got a bit of vocal, I might go with that, you know. Then someone might say, oh, can you sing it a bit more like this? Or could you, you know, can you go on this beat? Yeah. You're not even the drummer or the singer. That, that's how that's how dreadnought songs get done. They, you know, we work on them as an, an individual thing of what we think, and you know, everyone listens to everyone else's stuff. We don't just concentrate our own music. You know, like and the guys might say to me, "Oh, can you, you know, put that line in again somewhere else in the verse because that that's a real hooky bit. So I can try that again in there somewhere." And that's all the suggestion I'll need sort of thing and, and you know that's come from say Ando yeah or you know I might say to Richie oh, can, you, can you just try this you know humming a melody you go oh someone mm, you know sort of feel or come in here or come in on this timing fall across the beat you know someone might just say that and you know, we all know what it means yeah so yeah we, we, we you know we write each other's parts it's a yeah I don't know how other bands do it <laughs> So, uh, when it comes to, like, personally for you writing lyrics, are you the kind of person that can sit there in a car in traffic and bang out, like, three songs, or do you have to sit down with a notepad and write the songs, or do you write them all in your head then memorise lyrics, or does it have to come from personal experience, or does it, can you write a song about a squirrel jumping out of a tree? For example, a random thing. No, I, I sometimes things will pop in my head. I think sometimes I, you know, I do have a notebook, but it's completely disorganised. Like I don't know. I think I think most singers are like that. They go, you know, I've got like four notebooks all stuffed into one. Yeah. Like this sort of thing, exercise books, and they've got pages ripped out and stuff crossed out and all that sort of stuff. So I do, you know. I'll, I'll, sometimes I write lyrics. So, you know, a lot of the time I'll just kind of fucking warble along to a melody without words just to get it, just to get sort of something going. And then, you know, find a few choice words that I think sound okay and then, I guess, fucking work out what I'm on about. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. Take it from there. So, yeah, a bit of both, but generally just, you know, 
biscuit play and then I'll just come up with something. Other times I might just jump, jump down a bunch of lyrics that I like the sound of, but they've got no melody or nothing to them. But generally it's just like from me just sort of warbling along, I guess, without any real words or anything, just finding sounds and, and rhythm and, and melodic structure as well. So uh, I want to ask you the only true international question over the course of these interviews. Uh, who are your international influences? Uh, the Dreadnought Facebook says nothing, but you like Australian heavy <laughs> metal. Uh, were there... Yeah, of course it says nothing, you know. <laughs> it goes back to the yeah, five individual members of Dreadnought don't like each other's music. That's why there's no one influence. <laughs> 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 That's why it says, what are your influences? Nothing. Yeah. That is nothing. We're <laughs> uh, fighting about what we're going to put up there. You know, if someone said, oh, I want to put this band up there, it's an influence. Fuck off their shit. <laughs> I'm not having that on our page. So that's why it says nothing. Uh, okay. I should have guessed that really, because over the course of both these interviews, that statement has come up like 30 times. Everybody in yeah, well, likes yeah, different yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess for me, though, I mean, my, my like, influences are definitely, you know, uh, Anacrucis, for sure. Um, Thin Lizzy. I'm sort of talking about the influences that have got to do with my approach to Dreadnought. Um, definitely those two are probably the top two. Um, and the reason being, like, they're just their approach to songwriting and, and you, know, you know, presentation of those songs too is, um, yeah, definitely up there. Um, I'd probably say... Uh, all, all, uh, all Australian rock and roll. Um, Rose Tattoo—they're probably my favourite band of all time. Rose Tattoo, for sure. And um, the reason I like them is because they—they uh, they play blues, which is definitely a favourite style of mine. Then they play rock and roll, and then they uh, then they step on the fucking gas and play these just head-ripping songs like you know, Mantle Madness and all the lessons and songs like that. that just Nice boys, they just fucking tear your head off. It's <laughs> like go for the throat kind of stuff. So, yeah, they, they'd be a major influence. Um, you know, ACDC and the Angels, you know, definitely that um, era of, of Australian pub rock. Um, you know, they, they're definitely influential on me as singers. Uh, Metallica, definitely I was right into Metallica and, and Maiden when I was younger. Those, those guys would be big influences on me. Um uh, were there any non-metal? Like, uh, I know Metallica and Maiden, but, like, were, like, uh, a few people from that era, say, like, early Peppers or, like, uh, a lot of punk bands come to mind. There were a lot during that um, period, but uh, do, is there any non-metal influences? Um, uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge. Melissa, oh wow! I fucking love. I love Melissa Etheridge's voice. Yeah. She's just fucking oh, unbelievable. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, definitely like as far as a, a singer and songwriter. Yeah, she's fucking brilliant. Uh, uh, who else? Um, I'm just trying to think of things I tend to 
to drag out and listen to a lot. Um, yeah, man, I could think about this one for days, going <laughs> on and on about it. But um, yeah, they'd be you know just you know some of the influences for sure. Do you have any social media plugs for Dreadnought? As in, like the uh, your Facebook page. Uh, does the band have a Twitter account, or do you have a personal oh, Twitter account? Just, uh, I think, oh no, we're just uh, just on Facebook, man. Ah, just okay. on Facebook. Uh, do you have a website? Yep. Uh, uh, dreadnought.com.au. Dot com. Yeah. And uh, how do people, if people want to get in touch with you for bookings? Uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, basically, um, yeah, just via Facebook. We sort of take care of our own stuff, so, yeah, just via yeah. Facebook. I mean, we generally plan our own shows, that kind of thing. I mean, if people want to ask us to come and do something, we'll, we'll consider it. But, um, yeah, generally, we, we like to plan our shows as well. So, yeah, all yeah. good, man. Oh, okay. Well, that's been Greg from Dreadnought, and I've got to let him go now. So, uh, thanks, Greg. See you later. Cool. Thanks, Tom. See you, mate. See ya. Please hang up and try again. So that was Greg Troll from Dreadnought. This is his second interview of uh, on the Full Metal Now podcast. Thank you, Greg, for coming on the show. We got cut off there. The actual interview went for almost an hour and a half. But, uh, yeah, we ended up getting cut off and I had to edit it to make it fit into the show. But I'm thinking about releasing the podcast uh, premium editions where you can get, like, the full unedited interview with the person. Uh, Because most of the interviews have to be shortened to fit into the hour, hour and 15, roughly hour and 10 uh, time frame. Uh, But next week... That you won't have to worry about that because next week there won't be a show, and maybe not one the week after either. We don't know yet. Uh, it's because of the fact that this Saturday I am getting married to the woman of my dreams, and uh, she is the woman, absolute woman of my dreams. She's mother of my child. She's the light of my life. Anyway, uh, so next week there won't be a show because I'll be newlywed, and I don't want to do a show straight after my wedding or record during my wedding or record the day after the day before my wedding. Anyway, um, so I don't know if we'll be back the week after my wedding or the week after that, but it will be back within that time. Sometime. I'm not sure. But uh, you can look forward to the second half of season one with AJ Matter, uh, Matt M- Matt Young from King Parrot and hopefully Wade McKay of Recall VOR Voice of Rule. Sorry, I just love saying that. Anyway, um, a few weeks ago I actually forgot to do this, but uh, my usual goodbye line is goodbye. I love you. This week I'm doing the quote of the week as per Andy Dowling's request. It's uh, goodbye. Mark Fertner's your mate.